You're listening to the Weekly Portland Podcast. For a complete list of episodes, visit pdxpod.com or find us on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Remember to like, share and subscribe. Am I done with this thing yet? I'm better than this. I'm a professional broadcaster for heaven's sake. Who cares about a podcast? Hello and welcome to the show. Please excuse that awful introduction. My announcer is a complete bastard. Actually, no, he's just joking around. He better be. Today we speak with Dan Halstead. Oregon Public Broadcasting touts him as the Kung Fu Master of the Hollywood Theatre. And for good measure, he's the founder of the very popular Kung Fu Theatre series held at the venue, as well as the lead programmer, community activist, and sometime collaborator with Quentin Tarantino. Let's meet Dan Halstead. Wow! The second Tuesday of every month, I do Kung Fu Theater. Um, I'm also a film collector, and I collect old-school Kung Fu movies from the 70s and 80s on 35mm. And so I show those movies to audiences, and it's always hugely popular, which always blows me away. I'm surprised that so many people are interested in those movies. You're not kidding. It's hugely popular. Yeah. I mean, sold out. Yeah. yeah, we have 400 seats in our main auditorium, and it usually sells out. I used to be a projectionist. I never really wanted to have a job where I had to deal with people or do customer service. And projection is a great way to hide from the world. Um, and I've always loved movies, and so I fell in love with handling film, and I can't imagine ever not having a job where I'm handling film at this point in my life. But I kind of fell into the world of film collecting in that I wanted to show movies that I love to audiences and I used to rent out theaters as a projectionist, and I quickly found that movies I wanted to show weren't available on film, and film archives would make fun of me for the movies I wanted to show, and because I'm really interested in, you know, kind of offbeat exploitation stuff and the old-school kung fu movies, and I had some film archives tell me those are the movies we throw away, which really terrified me, and so I started collecting the films, finding them. I found I was also really good at finding things that are really hard to find. I've had a lot of crazy adventures finding films, but, you know, people always think that sounds amazing and exciting, but adventures are also terrifying and Spiders, lots of spiders. Spiders and heroin junkies and terrifying experiences. And, you know, just it's a lot of work. And, you know, Indiana Jones looks fun when you're watching it, but I'm sure, you know, getting shot and chased by Nazis isn't actually a fun experience. It's terrible. Yes, I've read about this. And one thing that surprised me when looking at your old interviews, the the dubbing in the 70s of film was, was actually more artistic. That... That's your take on it. They took a lot more time with the dubbing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the films I have, a lot of the kung fu films I have are subtitled. But I do have quite a few that are dubbed as well. But I think there used to be 
a lot more care went into that, and I think that it was done really well. People are quick to dismiss dubbing and say they won't watch a dubbed movie, but everybody loves The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is a dubbed movie. People consider that one of the greatest movies of all time. Shot in Italy, half the actors spoke Italian or Spanish, and they dubbed it all into English. So that happened all the time back then. So, I don't know, there was just a time when it was just done well. (laughs) So I'm just... I'm not quick to dismiss movies like some people are. You know what I mean? I think I don't have the different layers of movies of these movies are acceptable quality. I accept an Ingmar Bergman film as much as I think it's just as important as an old school kung fu movie. I think there's no difference. I actually think sometimes people are kind of racist when they quickly dismiss a Chinese movie not realizing that that's their culture. You know, kung fu movies are the western of Hong Kong. Yeah, you've been doing this a long, long time, and you still seem very passionate about this project. <laughs> I am. Do you view yeah. it as a project or a sort of a, a life? A life. The kung fu films, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a passion that grew into, I don't know, my job and also just, I don't know, mixed in with my hobby. and just It's gone so far, you know? Like it I've really seen has. hundreds of those films. I loan them out to film festivals all the time. The prints I've saved have played all over the world. Like, to me, that's a pretty big deal. You know, I mean, I feel like I set out to try to save as many of those movies as I could because nobody seemed to care about them, and it's paid off. Like, now audiences all over the world have seen prints that I've saved. So that's a big deal to me. And I feel like somebody needs needs to be there kind of championing those movies, you know? Like, kung fu cinema, old-school kung fu movies are like the... You know, I don't know the stepchild of of uh, cinema. Like it, it's easy to pick on them. You know what I mean? Like people just see the flaws and like, but really, like they're the badasses. You know? And yeah. I think I don't know. I just I'm very passionate about those movies. Right, pretending that Bruce Lee is somehow involved in these projects. Now, okay, the Hollywood theater. You had a Kickstarter, and that generated some money. And were you able to use that to, to great effect? I mean, you've got new seats. The Kickstarter was actually for the Marquee. The Marquee, I think okay. that was our most recent Kickstarter, yeah, um, which that really paid off. Um, we also did a fundraiser when we installed 70 millimeter because we needed to raise, I think it was 7,500, but people were so excited about it, we raised twice as much money. We got 15 grand from that fundraiser. So we were able to install, like, all the bells and whistles and upgrade the sound system and do a bunch of other things. And we're the only theater in the entire state that can show 70 millimeter. There's only very few theaters across the country that can do it. I'm not sure how many. Some t- somewhere between a dozen and two dozen, but not many. So, And those screenings really paid off. They always sell out. They're really fun. It's amazing to watch a movie in that format. I think They all like, sell out? They always sell out. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And we had our epic run of The Hateful Eight that we opened um, in 70 millimeter, and we sold out 60 shows of that movie. Incredible. Just unreal. Lines around the block for every show. It's incredible. Quentin Tarantino came. He was really blown away with our presentation. That was fun. He really came because he wanted to talk about well, Kung A lot of Portlanders were blown away that he was here. Yeah. Well, I knew he was coming. Because I loan him kung fu prints on a regular basis. He owns a theater in L.A. that's strictly 35 millimeter. doesn't show any digital at all. 
Um, and so since we're both film collectors, I knew he was coming, but I couldn't say anything to anybody. Right, <laughs> right. But, yeah, that was an amazing experience. Yeah, the crowd, guys, crowd was blown away. Do you guys have sort of the same fashion thing going on, this Weston Weston <laughs> thing? Uh, I don't know. He might be copying me. I do this, yeah. <laughs> now, um, what's your relationship with Mike Clark? I interviewed Mike, and he is very passionate, too. The owner of Movie Madness. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mike is, you know, just fellow movie lover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we've done some events together. Mike used to work in Hollywood. He used to, yeah, I'm sure right. he told you all about that. Yes. He used to work on movies, and so he knows some celebrities. And so, yeah. you know, we showed Carrie, and we had Piper Laurie and Nancy Allen here. We did show... <laughs> wow. Things happen live. Live. Yeah. I mean, we're here. We're live. So. Um, last year we showed The Exorcist, and Linda Blair came. She's good wow. friends with Mike. So wow. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I live right by Movie Madness, so I'm in there all the time. My wife used to work there years ago. So yeah, Mike's just become a good friend. Why? What did he tell you? Oh no, I. You know, he he has a wonderful store and. It was our most popular show ever. I had no idea that Mike Clark had that much pull in this city. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, people love That's that guy. That's great. Yeah. yeah. They love that I guy. love that. Everybody should go to Movie Madness. I think Netflix is the biggest con in the history of the United States. You think it's a con? Oh, absolutely. I can't believe people drank the Kool-Aid on that. To stop going to a video store, get kind of angry right now. DVD players, what's that? You getting kind of angry? Oh no! Well, I did, it, it makes me a little upset. Yeah, because yeah. I think people got screwed and they didn't realize it. They thought Netflix was going to be like a replacement of Movie Madness, and suddenly, what they're hopefully finding is Netflix is actually just the future of cable. All it is is they're just going to end up creating their own shows. They're barely going to have any films at all. And so the studios are just basically taking back over control of all their content. So if you want to watch any movies in the future, you're going to have to own a subscription to 20th Century Fox or Warner Brothers or whatever. You're going to have a massive cable bill instead of just going to your local video store. And so Movie Madness, it's so important that it survives. So I don't it's know cheap and it still has the best col- selection. Yeah, There's so many digital films that are not collection. available or vintage films that are not available in the digital format. Yep. Um, you know, your old blog spot is still up. It's still online with, you know, your actual cataloging and getting all those old reels back. Oh, right. From your, uh, your, you're digging them out from this old theater. And, uh, how do you ship 8,000 pounds? was, did that cost a fortune? Um, 8,000 pounds of film? Yeah, it's not cheap, but, um, it was, um, that was a complicated process. Yes. So it was, yeah, I don't need to tell the whole story, but it was an uh, abandoned Chinese theater up in Vancouver, B.C., yeah. and all the film had been left behind there. I'd done a bunch of detective work and figured out it was there and got in touch with the owner of the studio that owned the building in Hong Kong, and they donated everything to me. But, yeah, it was 8,000 pounds of film. It was about 200 films, um, close to that. And so, yeah, it was had to get an entire semi-truck to rent, to load it up, to ship all the film out of there. Um, huge pain. 
Um, the film all got flagged at the border as porn because of the kung fu film Dirty Ho, which is actually just a lighthearted kung fu comedy. Um, but yeah, it wasn't cheap. And so I teamed up with a film archive in Austin, Texas at the Alamo Draft House. It's called the American Genre Film Archive. And so it was the two of us together that worked that whole thing out. So a lot of the film went down to Texas, and then I kept the cream of the crop here as well. How did you get the key to get in that theater? Did um, some fast talking? I, I had, yeah, I had found a movie ticket with some trailers that I bought, some film previews. Right. Did some research, figured out um, the woman who used to own or ran the theater chain, got in touch with her. She put me in touch with the studio in Hong Kong, and they mailed me a key. Does that make sense? Wow. And so I went up there. The theater had been closed since 1985. And so my wife and I went up there, and it was on Hastings Street, which is the skid row of Vancouver. And so it was literally, you know, dealing with, you know, heroin addicts and crackheads. And actually, I saw a show on Discovery Channel that showed the theater, and it said that that three-block area on Hastings Street is the highest concentrated use of heroin in North America. So it was literally people shooting up, you know, smoking rock the whole time. You know, there's that famous picture of you in there in those archives or, you know, digging through those reels, and he kind of looked like Araldo, except you actually (laughs) found something. (laughs) Right. In the vaults. That's true. Wow, I never heard that comparison before. Now, Hollywood is is booming for business, and they've opened the airport theater. That's exciting. It is exciting. Now, you had some role in that, correct? Um, No, I did not. That was all done by our executive director, Doug White. That was his project. Very popular. Yeah. It's amazing. It looks incredible. Yeah. Okay. No, I've never been. Oh, you got to check it out. Checked out. It's past security, so you can only – you have to be – you know, flying in or out in order to check it out. Right. But it's all local films playing there. Um, it looks and sounds amazing. The sound system is phenomenal in there. Um, it has a really nice marquee. So, yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, I've heard so much. So many good things. Now, I want to get back to the 70 millimeter again. The jump to 70 millimeter, it's a big jump. And I've read that you, you've had to source parts for the, for the projector and you were able to do that by eBay or you know, had to track archives. them all down. Yeah, so seventy millimeter used to play here from the '60s until the mid '80s, and then you know the theater went through a horrible dark period. Um, and during that time, all the seventy millimeter parts went missing. Some projectionist stole them. Who knows what happened? And so we still had the projectors to run 35 millimeter, but you had to swap out all the parts in the projectors. So we had to track down all the parts piece by piece. So it was a matter of finding film collectors and technicians. Like reverse engineering to figure out? Totally, yep. So we, we figured out, we called in technicians and figured out exactly what we needed. And then it was a matter of just contacting people across the country and finding piece by piece everything we needed. People that just had, you know, parts and film stashed away in their basements. Like, I just know those people from being in that film-collecting world. And so I just reached out to all those people, and we were able to do it. It took months, but... Months? Yeah. But we were able to do it piece by piece. You know, we'd find something, and then a few weeks later, we'd find another part. And we'd find some reels and find some audio equipment. We were able to do it, which is amazing. 
And, yeah, pieced it all together, and it's been a phenomenal success. I never knew people would care that much about 70 millimeter. It's awesome. Right. And the audio also is upgraded. Yeah. So the audio, original 70 millimeter prints had magnetic sound, which for audiophiles is a really big deal. Um, But we didn't know if we'd be able to find those parts, and that was a real shocker that we were able to find all of that. So we can run sound formats that only a couple of theaters in the country can play. So just recently we did a 70 millimeter weekend and like we showed Tron. We did a sci-fi weekend and the print of Tron we showed there are probably, I don't know, half a dozen theaters in the country that can show that print and it sounded incredible. People were really excited about it. So... And it got national attention from yep. this because of this. Right. Uh, major websites out there. So that must have been pretty exciting for you, getting all these interviews and excitement generated. It was. I wasn't expecting it. I just didn't know people would care that much. You know? Right. But you so did. I did, yeah. But I just. Why is that? Why did you want to make that jump? Why was just, it so important? I don't like digital. It's like my same rant about Netflix. I feel the same way about digital. I just feel like it was the studio saving a ton of money on not having to strike prints and ship film. And so they kind of sold people on, oh, this is, this is the same thing. So, you know, just watch movies this way. And they waited. They would have just shown movies on DVD, but they had to figure out a way to encrypt it. So it took a while to get the DCP technology, which is what they call it, which can be easily bootlegged. But I think it looks awful. And I notice it when I watch it with audiences. People, a lot, Most people say they don't care, they don't notice. But when you watch with an audience a movie that's shown digitally, people aren't as interested watching the movie as when they watch it on film. They're checking their cell phones. They're less involved really? in the movie. Really? This is a I, study? I witness it all the time because I watch movies with is audiences. It, is yeah. there a study about oh, you know? Yeah, it's something. I don't know what it is. There's something about, I always say this, but there's something about film at 24 frames per second that engages the human mind in a way that digital can't replicate. I don't know what it is. But there's something about it that clicks, and people are more involved in the movie. You know, there's a new movie about David Lynch. I wonder if he touches on that, because he shot a movie in digital. He was one of the first directors to do so. Yeah, and he originally, I think, was really sold on it, and then reversed his opinion on it, and now thinks film is the way to go again. Really? I think I'm right about that. I haven't seen the new movie yet, though. Right. No, I'm interested. That's playing at Cinema 21. Yep. And you're involved, you have a relationship with Cinema 21? Um, I think they're great. You know, yeah. I know the owner, he's a great guy. Yeah, I think they're an awesome theater. Now, okay, in 2008, <laughs> you had a, ma- <laughs> we have to touch on this. I mean, you had a major event in your life. Um, I don't know how much you really want to say about this, but it continues to influence you in, in many ways, even creatively. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a while. You, you have a bit of distance from it. And um, I, I just have one question. Uh, what, is, what does it feel like to get tased? Uh, it feels like being set on fire. It's far wow. worse than what people say it is. That's what it feels like. Far worse. Yeah. Being set it, on it, fire sounds pretty painful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was incredibly painful. Feels wow. like being set on fire. So I was tased five times by the Portland police, and they beat me up. Um, yeah, if you've seen like the picture of what oh yes my face yes. looked like after that, 
Yeah, so they jumped me. I had no idea what was going on. I was just walking home. I'm sure you've read the stories. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, they jumped me, tased me five times, beat me up. I had no idea what was going on. I was screaming for somebody to call the police. I didn't realize it was the police. And so, whatever, they eventually arrested me. I went to the hospital first. I went to jail for the night. Um, I found out eventually that they'd been after some people who had been painting graffiti. And I just happened to be walking by. I was just walking home. Um, So I sued, which took four years before we went to federal court. Um, And I won... But leading up to the trial, my lawyers told me, so it looks like um, since you show kung fu movies, because they'd read about me finding kung fu prints, that uh, they're going to try to say that you try to use kung fu against the cops. And so it was totally surreal, you know, in federal court, on the stand, in front of a jury, serious situation, and I'm talking about old school kung fu movies. It was really bizarre. Um, but you know, whatever I won, um, I don't know. I just think it's something that I like to talk about it. You because, do? Really? Yeah. Because I think it's so important, you know, um, I've always thought, you know, police brutality is something that's so important to talk about because so many people are just always on the side of the police thinking they can do no wrong. And then I guess a lot of people, maybe their eyes have been open in the past few years. Now that everybody has cell phones and there's been so much more footage of what police have done, especially to the black community. Um, But for some reason, there's just so many people are just blind to the fact they think, nope, police are good. We need to always support, you know, what they're doing. And there's just or, or there's the thinking of there's just a few bad apples. But that isn't the problem. The problem is the system. You know, and I was part of that, like watching that happen. Like it wasn't just one cop lying. It was the entire city, you know, against me. Like they weren't just believing his lie. They were making up stories about it. You know what I mean? And it was, you know, city attorney defending him and, you know, making up. I mean, they made up more stories than just saying I tried to use Kung Fu. It was that I attacked him. The story changed multiple times, but just. You know, witnessing all that is kind of terrifying, just being one guy going up against that. But I just think it's important. I don't know. like what kind of a guy are you are you sort of like a laid-back dude or are you you like a really meticulous i mean you're very organized i could tell but like uh you're kind of in charge here what kind of a boss would you say you are well i don't i don't i mean maybe i guess i'm in charge of like the tech people here I don't know. Um, I'm really hands-on in so much stuff that I do. Um, I probably drive a lot of the employees crazy, really. But, um, I mean, I still, like, the Kung Fu Nights, I introduce the movie, and I go back and I run projection. So the projectionist might not love me. Um, 
because I'm just I'm really meticulous and really adamant that projection has to be perfect. You know, even if I'm showing something that's like a scratched up print or something, I'm just you know I'm really big on it being perfect. Presentation is so huge to me, so that might kind of drive people crazy. But I think my passion is felt by them and really keeps our employees around for a really long time. Like, most of the employees here have been here for a really long time, you know? And I think that's part of it. I think they feel the passion, and, you know, it's not just a place showing movies just to make money or, you know, booking stuff that's just popular at the moment or whatever, right? Like, so much of what I want to do is show maybe more obscure movies or movies that deserve attention, and we've been able to build a regular audience for that stuff. And so, I don't know think the employees are interested in that stuff right right and you do have an ongoing relationship with quentin tarantino yeah i mean you know we don't hang out on a regular basis right but but you don't seem starstruck by the guy no not at all no um i mean i think he's we have such similar interests in movies that you know it's just more like just hanging out with another film nerd you know like especially so many of the movies i'm into it's rare you meet somebody who's into like 70s crime films i love right. those movies most people don't know those movies yeah and so to hang out with him you know we can just talk that about makes those sense that really yeah. does make sense because and, that's what's he always talks about the, the yeah. that era and and he yeah because there's so many great movies from that era that just for whatever reason are just keep going unknown or like so many great italian films from that time but um, he's also just, you know, being a film collector, you know, when he was here and we went out to a bar afterwards and just talked for a long time, and my wife was like, you know, he probably just never gets a chance to talk about that stuff. And when does he get to just hang out with a film collector, you know, and just talk about what you have and weird stories, you know, about finding film? Like, he never gets to do that because people are always starstruck, you know? We're asking the same questions yeah, over and totally. over again. Like, yeah, which I witnessed that. Like, everybody wants to come up to him. Everybody says the same thing. I just can't imagine being famous like that. would be awful. Well, Kevin Smith, the same thing. Apparently, like, he loves to just talk, but he's constantly getting called and, and buzzed and emailed. It's just this barrage that celebrities have to deal with. Yeah. So that's, that's great. It, it sounds like a professional relationship. And yeah, I and think, it's beneficial for the theater. Yeah, you yeah. know, we l- borrow prints from his collection, you know, films that he has prints that are only known prints in the world, and so we can show that stuff. You know, it's a big deal. Yeah, you just uh, at the beginning of the year you borrowed a, a film from Quentin. What was that? Uh, Night of the Juggler, maybe. Right, I think so. I borrowed that from him. It was the only print I think available. Yep, that's the only one. Yeah, okay. that's an amazing. That's an example of a great. That's early eighty, might nineteen eighty, uh, New York crime movie. That's a really great movie. And that was a great turnout. I think like maybe two hundred people came to watch that. None of them had seen it. It's only on VHS, and it looks terrible. So it was great to get to watch it on thirty-five millimeter. How are you getting the word out on these on these films? Um, we have such a regular audience now that, you know, we have email lists and... Email lists? Really? Yep. And we have membership. You know, we have 3,000 members now to the Hollywood Theater, which is incredible. Um, and members get, like, discounts and... And, and how do you sign up uh, to be a member? At, at the website? Yep. On the website, you can sign up there or if you're at the theater, but... Yep. So what is the, what is the process? What do you get for your membership 
Um, you get it depends on the level. There's different tiers, okay, but um, okay. at least discounts on movies. We also have monthly screenings that are free for members. Uh, you get first access to when we have 70 millimeter screenings or special guests. First access to 70 millimeter. Yeah, that's okay, a big deal because a yes. lot of stuff sells out right away. Or special guests. You know, we had Pam Greer here in February. Oh, that's right. yes. That was amazing. Turns out she's the nicest person on the entire <laughs> planet. Which Pam Greer. Find out. Oh, so really? Nice. She always plays this tough lady. I know. Yeah. Which she's still a badass. Which she really is in real life. But she was so, you know, gracious and nice. It was really, it was humbling. And then we just had Joe Dante was here, the director of Gremlins and The Burbs. We showed The Burbs last weekend. We have some more special guests coming. Tom Hanks, The Burbs? Yep. Yeah. That film. Interesting movie. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we do a lot of that stuff. But those screenings usually sell out to members. Like Pam Greer... We put those tickets on sale, and they sold out right away just to members. So we had to add a second wow. show so the public could even come. I am missing out. I really you am. You should have come to see Pam Greer. That was a big right. deal. Yes. No. walking in this building, it's very exciting because this this place really, it has some polish to it and that, that really Portland flavor. And you never really forget a visit to the Hollywood Theater. It's what going to the movies should be. What going to the movies is all about. I, I appreciate that. I think I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. How old is the Hollywood Theater? Uh, ninety. It's almost ninety-one. We had the ninetieth birthday last year. Built wow. in nineteen twenty-six. Original, huge <laughs> movie palace, silent films, and vaudeville originally. Right, vaudeville. Wow. Yeah. And where are we now? We're in like a changing area. We are in the original vaudeville dressing room. That's <laughs> what this is. Were you born in a in Oregon? I was. Were you born here? Yeah. Where, I grew up in a really small town of 610 people. Um, it's called Sayo. Um, a lot of times people ask me how I got so good at finding things that can't be found, like one-of-a-kind film prints or projector parts or know whatever anything like that and i think it's because i grew up so isolated where all the things that i liked i had unique weird interests and all the things i liked seemed impossible to find so it was always thinking outside the box to find things i was interested in you know in the age before the internet right 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 so like estate sales and yeah, whatever pen Just, pals yeah <laughs> yeah vhs swapping days um, right. you know, or I remember trying to catch weird radio stations, and me and my brother would build strange antennas that we could hook up to the stereo. The shortwave? Or? Yeah, just, no, just for, I don't know, just to catch, like, college radio stations and stuff, like, far okay. off. And so, like, they would have a weak signal, and so we'd have to build these weird antennas, and then we'd record, you know, music that was not stuff that would play so, on mainstream radio. I mean, big cities must seem like magic to you if you're from a town of 600. They did then, yeah, totally, yeah, when I first got out of there. Because it was either, you know, get out or stay forever, right? Right. <laughs> so I got out. Um, so, yeah, it's when all of a sudden you have access to all that stuff that seemed impossible to find at first. It's, yeah, an amazing experience. You know, the Hollywood Theater, it's a jewel in this city, and... Uh, 
I have to extend, you know, some gratitude to you because uh, it's one of the first places I visited when I when I came here. It's left an indelible mark on my life. Um, I've had some great experiences here. I don't go, you know, as often as I should, and that's going to change. One, one, one of the great things about this podcast is I get to re-experience Portland again and again, and you just sort of sometimes take it for granted. Sure. Yeah, that's true. That so happens. The Hollywood District is a... Is a Still, it just it has that sort of old Portland feel to it. It does, and there aren't many places left like that in the city. No, not at all. When Joe Dante was here last weekend, I drove him through Hollywood District, and he was like, "This is great. It looks like the 1950s." <laughs> he's like, "We just shot." He's worked on some TV show, and they were in Vancouver, and they could not find just any building that looked like the 1950s, and they had to construct something. And he was like, "We should have just shot it here." So yeah, the Hollywood district, which is, it is kind of an odd neighborhood. I really like it. Ray's Ragtime moved in across the street, which is yeah, the greatest yes. vintage store in the entire city. Um, there's some weird, cool little stores in this neighborhood, restaurants and Avalon stuff. Avalon is moving in. Moon and Sixpence is around the corner. Yep, that's right. And there's the, uh, my favorite is uh, Aunt Tilly's which probably never has been plugged anywhere ever, but it's the best sandwich shop in the entire city of Portland. It's on. It's by Moon and Sixpence. It's oh, on it's an exclusive. Block. Okay. All and right. nobody's in there except me and like 80-year-old ladies, but they make the best sandwiches in town. You're kidding. Aunt Tilly's. Check it okay. out. Okay. Yeah, I go to Moon and Sixpence all the time. Yeah. I'm just always trying to preach the Hollywood theater to anybody who maybe doesn't already come here um, you know it's we're all about bringing back the true experience of cinema right you know we have a gigantic screen we have you know it's that cinematic experience cinematic experience and you know it's that communal experience of the power of cinema community right you know right and so i think that's something that's disappeared people are watching movies on their laptops or on small that's important and more important than ever yeah people need to connect you know you're not just sitting there in a dark room in silence you're experiencing a film with a community yeah and that's very important and uh, thank you for bringing that and keeping that spirit here in the city uh it it really is something very, very special My name is Gregory Day. You've been listening to the Weekly Portland Podcast. We'll be back next Monday. Have a great week.